John chapter 1, verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one who Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Good morning, everyone. Welcome again. Why don't we pray before we get started? Sorry. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word in the Bible this morning uh, and consider something of uh, this great person of history, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, we pray that your word, which is alive and active, uh, might do its work in our lives. Lord, that um, our time together this morning might be more than just a time of information, it might be a time of transformation, that we would be uh, transformed uh, into the people that you've called us to be. Uh, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we've looked at, today we're beginning a new sermon series from the Gospel of John called Encounters with Jesus. Over the next six weeks, we'll be looking at different people who uh, had an encounter with Jesus while he was on earth, had some kind of interaction with him, and all these people formed a conviction about who Jesus was based off of those interactions. And the idea behind the series is that for us in the 21st century, as we look at these encounters that uh, Jesus had with people, uh, we learn a lot about who Jesus is, what he's like, and the significance that he has for our lives. And that's true whether you've been trusting and following Jesus for a long time, or whether you're still not sure about who Jesus is uh, and the significance that he has. In fact, the reason why this Gospel of John was written is so that people like you and me could pick it up, read all about the amazing and spectacular things that Jesus did while he was on earth, and believe in him. John wanted to get the word out about Jesus, and so under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he got together a bunch of stories about Jesus' life and compiled them into the biography that we have today. And the story that we're looking at this morning focuses on uh, two of Jesus' first disciples, Philip, who followed Jesus straight away, and Nathaniel, who was a bit sceptical at first, but took up the invitation to come and see Jesus, come and examine the evidence, uh, and find out who Jesus was for himself. And that invitation to come and see Jesus is an invitation that extends to us again this morning here today. It's, it extends to uh, each and every one of us. Come and see Jesus whether it's for the first time or whether it's another time to come and see him again with fresh eyes. 
So we pick up the story in John chapter 1, verse 43, uh, and it's the day after Jesus has called his first two disciples, Andrew and Peter, to start following him. Uh, And on this day, we read in verse 43 that Jesus has decided to leave for Galilee, and finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip didn't appear to be actively seeking Jesus. No, Jesus found Philip and said to him, follow me. And Philip followed him straight away, which might seem like a strange thing for a grown man to do, but it's obvious that Jesus' words came with power and authority because Philip obeyed them. What's also made clear is that Philip recognised something about Jesus. That is, he recognised that Jesus was a figure who had been promised from a long time ago. Read with me in uh, verse 45 that Philip went and found Nathanael, uh, seemingly almost straight away, and what did he tell him? He said, we've found the one. We've found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. You can almost sense the excitement in Philip's voice, hey, because he and heaps of other Israelites in his day would have been living with this kind of constant sense of expectation in the back of their minds that one day there would be this person arrive on the scene in Israel that would fulfill all the promises and the prophecies of the Old Testament. They would have known all about this kind of thread line of the Old Testament that almost from the very beginning is pointing towards this figure who would eventually come. They would have been waiting, waiting for the person who was promised way back in Genesis 3, the offspring of Eve who would come and crush Satan's head. They would have been waiting for the prophet that Moses promised in Deuteronomy 18 who would come and speak the words of God to them. They would have been waiting for the descendant of King David spoken about in 2 Samuel 7 who would reign forever. They would have been waiting for the son that Isaiah spoke about in uh, chapter 7, the one born of a virgin and called Emmanuel, God with us. And when Jesus arrived on the scene, they were like, he's the one. Like farmers waiting for year after a year for a good rain to come, and it's finally here. But for some of them, their excitement was maybe a little bit uh, misguided because they thought Jesus was a saviour who was going to come and defeat the Romans and set up this kind of Israeli nation-state that would go on forever. Israel had lived through hundreds of years of oppression uh, and lots of the Israelites must have just been thinking, what hope is there? And Jesus rocks up and they're like, yes, bring it on. Israel's time in the sun has finally come. Of course they were misguided, but you can still imagine their excitement, right? And so how much more exciting for us being able to look back in hindsight and grasp something of the full significance of why Jesus came and what he achieved. It's no wonder all the songs we sing at Christmas time are so full of joy and celebration and optimism and excitement. We sing that song, Joy to the World, Why? Because Jesus, the one promised almost from the very start of the Bible, finally came, not to set up a nation state, but to save us from our sins and bring us hope and light 
in the midst of a world that's, um, frankly, pretty dark and horrible sometimes. So exciting. And we want to be excited about it because we want that excitement to kind of spill over into telling other people about him. Interesting, isn't it, that Philip didn't hang around in telling Nathaniel about Jesus. He was straight into it. His excitement about Jesus just kind of naturally flowed over. And I wonder, man, why can't it always be like that for me? And so I pray often that God might help me to stay excited about Jesus and that that might spill over into telling other people about him. And maybe you're here today because you had a friend who was so excited about Jesus that they brought you along to see what all the fuss was about. And if that's you, then welcome. Well, Philip was excited. He went to Nathanael and said to him, we've found the one who was promised, Jesus of Nazareth. But check out Nathanael's response. Verse 46, he goes, Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? It's almost like scoffing, and it's a bit kind of prejudiced and judgmental, but it was actually a perfectly reasonable question to ask, and that's because Nazareth in Jesus' day was just a bit of a nothing town. It wasn't a centre of kind of cultural or economic excellence, it wasn't an important trade hub or anything like that, and it was overshadowed by a bigger, more luxurious city that was actually the home of King Herod at the time. Nazareth just had nothing going for it. It was the ancient equivalent of a place like, I don't know, Winolier or Cressy. <laughs> Except at least Cressy has those fish for street signs. And so, naturally speaking, there was good reason for Nathaniel to be a bit sceptical. He was just saying it like it is. And naturally speaking you might have good reasons to be sceptical about Jesus as well. There's lots of perfectly reasonable questions to be asking. We'll come and see Jesus. That's what Philip said to Nathaniel. In a sense, he said, don't take my word for it. Come and check Jesus out for yourself. Don't dismiss Jesus because of your preconceptions, but come and examine the evidence. And so Nathaniel takes up the invite and starts heading over to where Jesus is. You can almost see it, like he's going to head over there and ask 20 questions to Jesus about who he is and where he's from. But interesting, it didn't go like that. What happened next actually stopped Nathaniel in his tracks. Jesus sees him coming and calls out, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And you get the sense that Nathaniel's like, Whoa, wait, what? He says to Jesus in verse 48, how do you know me? Whatever it was about Jesus saying to Nathanael that he was an Israelite without deceit, he started to twig that, hey, maybe Jesus is more than just a nobody from a nothing town. Uh, Maybe because Nathanael was willing to come and see who Jesus was uh, without just dismissing him. Uh, It tells us Nathanael was a straight-up guy, like he was intellectually honest. And so Jesus saw that in Nathanael, and he called it out, and it feels like Nathanael knew that Jesus had him pegged. He's like, yeah, I am that guy. But how do you know? And the answer Jesus gives is a bit intriguing. Look at this, again, in verse 48, Jesus says to Nathanael, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree. 
before Philip called you. And the penny drops for Nathaniel, and you feel like he's just moved to blurt out in verse 49, Rabbi, you're the son of God, you're the king of Israel. Jesus saw Nathaniel while he was under the fig tree, even before Philip had called him over. And I don't know, when I first read that, I was like, so? Like he's just seen him out the front of his house or whatever. How is that special? And the thing is, we're not told the exact significance. This story and heaps of others like it in the Gospels don't have all the details, but the point is that it was clearly supernatural that Jesus could judge Nathanael's character before he'd even met him. And what Jesus saw in Nathanael was something so personal, so deep down, something that no one else could have known, that Nathanael was like, you're the one, you're the son of God, the king of Israel. And it's not the only time we're told of an all-knowing, all-perceiving Jesus either. He's the same Jesus who knew what was happening in the hearts of his disciples when they were debating about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He's the same Jesus who knew the attitudes of the Pharisees when they came to him with questions to try and trick him. And there's heaps of stories like this of Jesus' life where we read that he knew what was going on in people's hearts and minds and all these stories kind of beckon us to come and see Jesus as the one who sees and knows everything. Come and see Jesus as the one who's alive today, as we sang about, and who sees and knows you. Can you remember a time where you felt really and truly known? It's kind of a giddy feeling. Like how special is it when you've been friends with someone for years, maybe friends since you were kids, you've got all these shared memories, same goofy teachers at school, times you've been camping together and you get together and it's so chill and you share stories and you share life together and you feel comfortable to open up about stuff, what you're looking forward to, what you're scared of. And you know each other so well and you feel known and it's really special. Well, what about 10, 20, 30 years of marriage? You start to finish each other's sentences. You know what each other's going to order at the restaurant. Over time, you've shared the deepest and the most intimate parts of yourself and it gets to the point where it's kind of hard to hide stuff. But you still get each other wrong sometimes. You make what they call in psychology an attribution error. That is, you attribute the wrong motives to why your spouse has said or done something. And you get it wrong. And it's like, hmm, maybe I don't know this person as well as I thought. And not only that, but sometimes we don't even know ourselves. We're riddles to ourselves. Like, have you ever had a time where you just think, man, why do I keep doing and thinking and saying and feeling the things that I do. It can actually tie you up in knots sometimes. Well, in those times, what a blessing it is to be able to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, you know me. To lay it all before him and say, Jesus, you know my heart. You know my motivations, my feelings, my thoughts, 
You know the words of my mouth before I even speak them. Well, I wonder if you've ever felt that sense that Jesus really knows you. The person that you are in private, everything that goes on deep down inside, the stuff that you actually try and hide from other people because you think, man, if they really knew what goes on in my head, they wouldn't want a bar of me. Well, Jesus knows. And the wonder of it is that he doesn't just know you, but that he sees all the mess and the sin and the brokenness that lives inside and says, come as you are. Come follow me. Come learn from me. And I won't leave you as you are. I'll clean you up. I'll make you like me. Jesus doesn't just know you, but he stoops down from heaven and calls you to come and know him too. And in doing so, you come to know God. Look with me back at verse 50. Nathanael's declared that Jesus is the Son of God, the King of Israel. And in verse 50, Jesus says to him, You believe me because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus raises the bar on Nathanael and kind of says to him, You ain't seen nothing yet. He says, you believed in me because of my supernatural knowledge and perception, but that's actually only one aspect of who I am and what I came to do, and there's bigger and better things on the way. Jesus tells Nathaniel and the other disciples that they're going to see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And to really get the significance of what he's saying, we need to go back to the Old Testament. So some of you in your Bibles, if you look at verse 51, you'll see a little footnote after that phrase, angels of God ascending and descending. Uh, and you'll notice that it points you back to Genesis 28, which is where you find the story about what we often call Jacob's ladder, although it was actually more like a stairway. Jacob was on a journey to go and see his uncle, and he stopped overnight to sleep. And while he was sleeping, he had a dream where he saw a stairway reaching all the way from the ground all the way up to heaven, and he saw the angels of God ascending and descending on it. Do you remember that story? And the angels signified the presence of God and it was there that God met with Jacob and spoke to him and promised to be his God, to bless him and his descendants, to bless the nations around him through him and to be with him until he had fulfilled all his promises. And maybe... We don't know, but maybe some commentators suggest that it's possible that Nathaniel, an Israelite without deceit, while he was lying under the fig tree, had been thinking about that dream that Jacob, who was full of deceit, if you remember him, had had, and wondering about what it all meant. Like, what was the deal with the stairway and the angels and all of that? And what Jesus says here in John 1 is that he is that stairway that connects us with God. What Jacob saw in a dream has turned into a reality in Jesus. It's a bit of a funny picture, hey, thinking of Jesus as a stairway because you think that that might somehow imply that we've kind of got to step our way up to God using Jesus as the stairway and we kind of get ourselves to God. But that's not really what it's saying. The point is that God's actually provided a stairway. He's taken the initiative and made a way for us to know him 
and have a relationship with him. I don't know what your worst fear is, but one of mine is to be buried alive. And maybe that's a bit morbid, but can you imagine? Like, imagine being one of those, uh, the miners from Beaconsfield, Brant Webb and Todd Russell, stuck in the bowels of the earth, trapped underneath tons of concrete, rock, pitch black darkness. They were on 60 Minutes earlier this year, and both of them actually said they just couldn't put into words the sheer terror that they felt that first few seconds when they realised what had happened. Horrific. They were down there for like two weeks, absolutely helpless, totally cut off, and fully dependent on outside intervention. And our predicament when it comes to God is kind of the same. We're as good as dead, totally cut off from God because of our sin and our rebellion against him, and there's nothing that we can actually do to work our way back to him. But God, in his great mercy, took the initiative and sent Jesus to dig us out of our predicament and lift us back up to him. Jesus bridges that impossible chasm between us and a holy God. He's the one who not only knows us, but he came into our world to make a way for us to know God. He descended to hell in our place, and now he's ascended and he's opened heaven for us. He like peels back the veil for us, if you like, showing us who God is and what he's like. Jesus is that stairway that climbs high up into heaven and kind of channels the blessings of God down to us. God's mercy, his grace, his condescension to us, his faithfulness to his promises, his acceptance of us, even in spite of all our mess and the sin that's so tangled up with who we are. All of that is only possible and comes to us only through the person and work of Jesus. You see, we can make mistakes when it comes to God, can't we? One of the things we do is to think that because of the things we've done, or the stuff that lives inside us, or the kind of people we are, that God wouldn't want a bar of us. And so we run, or we hide. We stay down the mine, if you like. And maybe that's you. Maybe you've got stuff going on that weighs you down and chews you up that no one else knows about. Jesus knows. And he doesn't just know, but he calls you to come to him and through him to come back to God. Stop hiding. Stop running away. Come back and see Jesus. The other mistake we make is that we neglect the stairway that God's provided for us in Jesus and we try and make up our own kind of rope ladders to get to God. I was talking to a guy uh, the other day who gets up at 4am every morning and meditates for two hours just trying to get a little inkling or a little experience of God. He's trying to see heaven open, isn't he? Trying to get to God. And there's all sorts of ways that people do that. Even Christians do it sometimes. We try and get to God through our own efforts or our own knowledge or whatever it might be, and it doesn't work. 
And even people who reject the idea of God, they wouldn't say, I'm trying to get to God, but still trying to answer the question of what life's all about. Everyone in some way is trying to see heaven open because we know that there's more to our lives than just what we can see and sense around us. There has to be. We're reminded of it when we see a gorgeous sunset or where we see a movie where good triumphs over evil. As good as those things are, they leave in us this kind of aching desire for something more. We want to see heaven open. And Jesus says, come and see me and you will see heaven open. I'm the stairway between your world and the unseen world that you so desperately desire. See, nothing satisfies our longings or answers our questions more than a relationship with the God who made us and the God who knows us. And Jesus is the only one who makes that possible. Do you believe that? Will you come and see him? And not just once, but are you taking up the offer every day to come and see Jesus and through him to come and meet with God? It's not a once-off deal. It's a daily call, as we saw before, to faith and repentance. Come and see Jesus as the one promised as we read our Bibles and see that they're all about him. Come and see Jesus as we lay our hearts and our lives before him, trusting that he knows us better than we know ourselves. And through him, grow ever deeper in our relationship with the God who made us and the God who opens heaven for us through his son, Jesus. Come and see him. Let's pray. Our great God and Heavenly Father, we want to uh, praise you this morning for your wonderful provision to us in the person and work of Jesus. Lord, we confess that in and of ourselves we are cut off from you. Uh, We rebel against you. We don't want a bar of you. Uh, But Lord, you haven't left us in this condition. You've taken the initiative and sent Jesus into our world to live a perfect life, to die on the cross and to rise again. Lord, that we might have a way to come back to you through faith in him. Lord, help us to do that. Help us to come and see Jesus, whether it's for the first time or whether it's every day, Lord. Come and see Jesus and come and meet with you. We pray it for his sake. Amen.